So it's been a few days since I've made an episode. Obviously, there's things going on in the world right now. And obviously, by my voice, you can tell that I am not at 100%. And I understand if you hear me right now and you don't want to listen to this because uh, I sound disgusting. Uh, but at the same time, I want to get this out because this is something that I've had on my mind really since the last thing that I said. And the last thing that I really talked about on this podcast was how the NBA is being helped out by the playing game and just a general improvement in competitiveness in the league. And something that goes hand in hand in that right now is desperation in the NBA. Uh, Desperation in this league is something that really can make or break teams in their rebuild slash building cycle or retooling. However you want to classify what your team is doing, desperation has some sort of hand in what your team is doing at this given moment. There's a lot of teams in the league right now who are behind schedule, and there's about six weeks to really fix their situations. Now, in saying that a lot of teams are behind schedule, almost every single team outside of Houston, Orlando, Indiana, and Detroit are fighting for prime spots in either the playoffs or in the play-in game. A lot of teams are still facing the harsh reality that this season is going to be a massive disappointment. Uh, Take the Nuggets, for example. I can already see the headlines in two or three years saying that the Denver Nuggets are not doing right by their superstars slash MVP in Nikola Jokic. Even though it seems like everything that has happened to the Denver Nuggets in the last few seasons would be enough to absolutely cripple other franchises. I mean, just consider what this team looked like three years ago. Uh, Actually, I'll say this. Take this team... Pre-Gary Harris injury, they had a young Gary Harris who was improving at a rapid rate. I think he got up to about 16, 18 points a game. Uh, You had a young Jamal Murray who was coming onto the scene. You had Nikola Jokic who was entering what we now know as, I guess, his prime. You had a Michael Porter Jr. who I believe was a rookie at the point. You still had guys like Will Barton. I think they still had Wilson Chandler on the roster. Uh, You have other guys on that team who really made that team really good. And then Gary Harris goes down, and then Jamal Murray tears his ACL, and now Michael Porter has his back injury, and then, you know, they they just don't have a full team around Nikola Jokic. However, that's not what the media is going to care about. Even with all of the injuries that they've had, and even considering that this team is a lot further than... uh, they're a lot more ahead of schedule than people are going to give them credit for because if there is a chance that they get Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. back for the playoffs, that's a massive addition for their team. Uh, not only in just the fact that it's talent, but it's it's fresh bodies to bring in. Even if it's for 18 to 25 minutes a game for each of those guys, that's a massive improvement to their roster and it's a massive improvement to their depth chart. Even with that, like I said, the narrative is still going to be that Jokic wasted prime years of his career already an MVP season last year with the Denver Nuggets on a team that he was obviously the only real threat on and you know the Nuggets at least have the luxury of a great fan base and a great culture in their area of Denver I would say that I am more anti-Michael Malone than a lot of other people who would talk about the NBA Um, and even I have to admit that the fact that he's not getting a lot more buzz for coach of the year is a bit annoying to me because when, like I said, when you look at where the Denver Nuggets were probably predicted to be 
especially after the Michael Porter Jr. injury, nobody thought that they would be at a position to get home court advantage in the Western Conference. Right now, they're sitting at what are they? What are they? What are they? See, this is why you do your research before you start talking, kids. Uh, they're sixth. They're sixth in the Western Conference right now. And right now, they're only... I mean, they're not getting first place, obviously. I think that's already guaranteed. But they're only a few spots behind the Jazz. Uh, only a few more games behind that from the Grizzlies, from a three seed. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Denver Nuggets are holding home court advantage in the Western Conference Finals this year. As well as it's not very out of the realm of possibility that this team is playing in the playing game. I understand that. But, I mean... <sighs> This team has a sort of desperation to it. This is all just going back to the whole desperation thing. This team does have a desperation to it because, like I said, the narrative from the media is going to be the Denver Nuggets have not done right by Nikola Jokic. Even though I would say that even in adding Aaron Gordon, even in you know making the moves that they have made, you know, playing certain guys and not playing certain guys, hint, hint, Facundo Campazzo, uh, I would say that Michael Malone and the Denver Nuggets have done as much as possible to put a championship roster around Nikola Jokic than you know they have done in previous years. With everything that's gone against them, you have to understand that they're filling a depth chart with guys like you know Monte Morris is a good player, but it's now down to Austin Rivers, it's down to Will Barton, it's down to Jamichael Green, it's down to. Zeke Naji, it's down to Bones Highland, it's down to guys who are not usually in this position. And the fact that a lot of those guys are playing above expectations, as well as Nikola Jokic is playing even better than last year when he was the MVP. Michael Malone does deserve some credit for that. And in general, the Denver Nuggets are a better team than what they have on paper at the moment. Um, and I think they recognize that, and I think that's why they're desperate, because they they realize that they need to make sure that even in a dwindled season, they look like one of the best teams in the Western Conference. And right now, they are doing that. Uh, so are they the most desperate team in the, in, in the NBA? Uh, I would say that it's above average. Uh, I would say that they're one of the more above average desperate teams right now. A couple other teams. The Knicks and the Lakers are probably the best example right now of teams who are in that desperation phase. We know what the Knicks and the Lakers have done in the last three seasons in terms of trying to field their roster. The Knicks have done it a completely different way, adding under-the-radar free agents like Julius Randle, drafting R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, you know, you know, Alec Burks. You know, a lot of these guys are, you know, either in their draft class or even in their free agency, were below the radar players. And that's not to say that they're bad players. That's just to say that they're guys who weren't considered top-tier options when they were either draft-eligible or free agents. Um, and let's be real about the Knicks, and let's be real about the Lakers. Uh, the Lakers have not been a consistently relevant franchise since 2010 when Kobe got his fifth ring. Uh, we love to make a lot of fun on franchises, about some of the sprees of coaching hires that they make. But the run of Mike Brown, Mike D'Antoni, 
J.B. Bickerstaff for about five games, Byron Scott, Luke Walton, and then finally Frank Vogel is a very odd group of coaches in 12 years, to say the least. And I'll be real, I'm someone who puts LeBron up on the pedestal as, if not the best player of all time, is the second greatest player of all time. I think that take is very consistent with a lot of people in the NBA. But even with that being said, having LeBron on your team does not make having a successful franchise very easy. The Miami Heat were not very good after he left. The Cleveland Cavaliers were a terrible franchise up until this season after he left both times. And the Lakers are really looking like they're going to be probably the worst team in the NBA after he leaves within one or two seasons. Because the fact of the matter is, when you have LeBron on your roster, you can't develop young talent, even though some faith gets put into young talent like Taylor Horton fucking Tucker for God knows what reason. Um, and then you fill out the roster with, you know, your margins are so below average. Your margins are Dwight Howard. Your margins are DeAndre Jordan. Your Mondres, your margins are, you know, Avery Bradley, who Avery Bradley is a really good player, but if he's your third best option, especially when Anthony Davis is out, you're talking about a team right now who is A, all out of their prime except for LeBron. You're talking about a team who B, none of them are championship, you know, have been championship guys on their own team. And not, that's not to say that Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook and Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan, like I said, this is nothing to say that any of these guys are bad players. But when you're talking about this roster, the depth chart in terms of rings goes LeBron and Avery Bradley. If Anthony Davis is not on the floor, there is no other guy who you're looking at other than Trevor Ariza, which Trevor Ariza has been washed for about five years now. We just... I think the writing has been on the wall for the Lakers, and this isn't even something that I'm saying that is new information to you. This has been something that's been a problem for the Lakers for the past three years since LeBron got there. Faith is put into the wrong guys in terms of roster development, and it just, they don't look like they know what they're doing from a front office standpoint. And it's even worse for the Knicks. Because not only do they have a worse record than the Lakers, <clears throat> there's probably less young talent on the roster. I mean, outside of R.J. Barrett, who are you really saying that you're going to build a franchise around? And now with Julius Randle, he's probably having one of the worst star player with fan relationships that we've ever seen in a long time. You know, the the having the thumbs down to the crowd as they're cheering when he makes a bat. Like, what is that? What What is that? Um, and not only that, but all of their mistakes at every single home game, when you're playing in Madison Square Garden, the, line, the lights shine a little bit brighter. Uh, and when you make those mistakes and when you're losing the teams that you should beat and teams that you were beating last year when you were a four seed in the East, it makes it a lot worse. Now... There's a real chance that the Lakers and the Knicks are probably the most desperate team in the NBA right now. Not just because of the chance that they might only make the playing game of their respective conferences, but because of the chance that this might be the best season that either of these teams are going to see for a few years because of how ill-managed both of these franchises have been over the last five years. At least with the Knicks, they have a guy in R.J. Barrett who I think could be you know, a, a cornerstone and a turning point for this franchise because... You know, 
this is probably Julius Randle's last year on the Knicks, whether he gets, you know, waived in the offseason or whether he gets traded. Um, th- it sucks because this is probably going to be the most successful year either of these teams have because that's how poorly their future is set up. The Knicks don't have a first-round pick this year. The Lakers don't have a first-round pick this year, next year, and I think the year after that. The Knicks have even the Lakers, even worse than the Lakers and the margins. You know, the margins for the Knicks go like Mitchell Robinson, who is basically DeAndre Jordan 2.0. you have Alec Burks, who Alex Bur- Alec Burks is a good player, but when you're in New York and you're struggling, you're going to look like you're a terrible player. Uh, Derrick Rose hasn't been on the floor for a while. At least I don't think he has. If he has, you know, that just shows how poor it's been. Nobody even knows that Derrick Rose is playing right now. Kemba Walker just got shut down for the year. I think the Kemba Walker move is being <laughs> viewed as probably the worst free agent signing of the year so far it sucks because the nba is not the nba is not better when both of these franchises are struggling like i said playing in madison square garden is something that every single nba player wants to do and the knicks have a chance to do it 41 times a year and it looks like they have like the most dejected roster it looks like they're playing with 15 carl anthony towns on the court when they're playing. And their coach, Tom Thibodeau, is, I hate to say it, but it's an old mindset of the NBA. And with these new players, you can't have that old mindset that he has. Um, And I think that's been, you know, even in his coach of the year campaign last year with the Knicks, there's, there's there's a lot of writing that's been on the wall with some of the moves that were made in free agency and in the offseason, where you could see the Knicks were going to have this just terrible year. And it's not going to get much better. It's probably going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. All right. So the next thing that I've been, you know, having on my mind is, you know, I think it's agreed upon that winning the MVP in the NBA is probably one of the most difficult things to do not only just in the NBA, but the MVP award in the NBA is a lot more difficult to win than it is in the NFL. You know, in the NFL, you're not going to have the voter fatigue of, oh my God, it's Aaron Rodgers again having the best season. Let's, we're not going to give him the, the MVP. Let's give it to someone like, like if they would have given it to Josh Allen over Aaron Rodgers, or if they would have given it to Tom Brady over Aaron Rodgers, I think there would have been revolts and riots in the streets of Green Bay. Um, that voter fatigue is one of the worst culprits of robbing players like Shaq, like LeBron, and many other legends who have probably deserved more MVP trophies than they actually have on their mantle. And I think one of the biggest reasons that it happens is a lot of these people who are in charge of voting for the award overthink what the award really means. And... It's robbed guys of the award. And this year is another year of that thought process just going a little bit too far. And this is not to disrespect Nikola Jokic. Like I just said for the last, you know, 10 minutes, what he has been able to do with the Denver Nuggets, not a lot of other guys would be able to do that with that roster. Steph, 
let's be real. The reason the Warriors are winning the way that they're winning is because of Stephen Curry. There's no other way to put it. LeBron. Yes, they have one of the worst teams in the Western Conference right now. At 37, what he is doing in terms of just a box score standpoint and being efficient while he's doing it, I understand that last night in that Pelicans game, it looked worse than it's ever looked for the Lakers. But still, his numbers are incredible. And DeMar, I look, DeMar DeRozan has been a focal point of what the Chicago Bulls have been able to do this year. But when you're just going to say, oh my God, DeMar DeRozan is the only reason that Chicago is winning right now, that takes so much respect away from Billy Donovan, takes respect away from Vucevic, it takes respect away from, even though they're not playing right now, Lonzo and Alex Caruso. There's a lot more moves that have been made for the Chicago Bulls in the last, shoot, 16 months than just DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan is an incredible player. But don't get it twisted to say that he's the only reason that this team is playing well. Because like I've said with the Lakers and like I've said with the Knicks, when you improve upon those marginal players, when you improve upon your roster, yes, your team's going to look really good. We shouldn't be surprised at what, what, about what the Chicago Bulls are doing this year. Um, and like I said, the season that all of those guys are having, in my opinion, is, is great. But it's not even close to what Joel Embiid is doing for his team. Not only has he dealt with a dwindled roster like Nikola Jokic between, you know, players like Ben Simmons being out. Uh, he just doesn't have a good roster around him. When you compare the roster, and like Philly is almost like the Eastern Conference version of Denver. With the fact that they're relying on young guys, they're relying on guys like Furkan Korkmaz, they're relying on guys like Georges Niang, they're relying on guys like, well, they were, on Andre Drummond. Like, you know, the, the team in Philly was not anywhere, you know, close to being able to say, oh my god, this is so much better than what Joker, the Joker, what Jokic has. It's nowhere close. Not only that, but he's being asked to carry this roster to a conference championship while the cloud of the Ben Simmons situation had been over their head and the only thing that's been talked about over the last 10 months in Philadelphia. He's got the third best three-point percentage on the team. He's only behind Tyrese Maxey in assists on the team. He's a much better defensive presence than Nikola Jokic, who even in saying that, I will admit Nikola Jokic has looked a lot better than previously. Uh, than he previously has on that end of the ball. And the improved health and durability of Joel Embiid should not be something that goes understated. Joel is actually being forced to miss games for load management because he has been so healthy this year. This has never been the case with Joel. It's been he's had a turned ankle or he's had a back issue or he's had some sort of lower extremity issue. He's never been told to just sit out the game because this is the schedule, you know? You haven't missed any games this year, so we have to hold you out. And, you know, another thing that I will say, and, you know, there's no chance that Shaquille O'Neal hears this. If he does, I mean, shoot, I made it big time. But, you know, we're seeing the closest thing to Shaq in his prime with Joel Embiid. And it's not really in their play style, because even though I think both guys do dominate their matchup on a game-by-game -game basis, 
I think with what you get with Shaquille O'Neal is not necessarily what you get with Joel Embiid. I think you get a lot more with Joel Embiid than you get with Shaquille O'Neal. You get a better passing big man. You get a better shooting big man. You get a better guy at the free throw line. You get a better guy, you know, for a team to play around. I think their dominance speaks more volumes than what it actually shows. You know, what, they're, what they do for their team, just, you know, you see it. You, you see it and you feel it when you watch what they're doing. Um, and it affects the team that they play as well, especially when you see Joel Embiid do that stupid fucking pump fake from the three-point line. I know he doesn't do it as much now because everybody kind of knows what he does. But that pump fake is probably the most demoralizing thing ever. When he pump fakes you and drives to the hole and dunks on three guys, like, <laughs> that, like, you roll your eyes at that more than anything. I think the last little bit of my argument is that, look, either way, when you're talking about MVP, you're trying to decipher between Jokic and Embiid. Either way, if you remove either of these guys from their respective team, or even, you know, get into a more sophisticated way of thinking about it. If you replace them with each other, you put Embiid in Denver, you put Jokic in Philly. If you replace them with each other, their teams don't move up or down a drastic amount. I would say that Denver probably goes up a spot. Philly probably goes up a spot in terms of their win totals. But both of these guys are so good at what they do that it's different from each other and you can't necessarily decipher between the two of them. So I don't really, you know, I, I wouldn't have a gripe with anyone that would say, no, Nikola Jokic is obviously the MVP winner. I, I wouldn't have a gripe with that because he has proved that in his MVP defense campaign, he did deserve to win it last year and he does deserve to have a chance to be in the running for the award again this year. There's no reason to say that he doesn't. And there's no true way to decipher their value compared to each other because they just do so many different things on the court. Even though they play the same position, what they both do for their team is so different. But what I will say is, you know, I think the cloud of not only just playing in Philadelphia for Joel Embiid, not only that, but... I think he's being tasked to do a little bit more with his roster. And now he does play with James Harden, I understand. And that honestly is probably going to hurt his campaign going forward even more because, you know, James Harden is going to take a bulk of shots now and he's going to he's basically going to be like oh, who have we seen in the past? You know, I don't know if there really is a combination like jo James Harden and Joel Embiid. Um but I'm just going to kind of wrap this up because I'm rambling. I don't think anybody deserves it more than Joel Embiid right now because he's being tasked more. He's being tasked with more than other guys in the league right now. Um, you know, the Warriors are getting fully healthy with Steph, Clay. You know, Draymond's still out, but James Wiseman's looking like he's going to come back soon. Uh, the Nuggets, yeah, I get it. They don't have Murray. They don't have Porter. But I don't know if the argument, the main argument for Joker can just be oh, his team around him has been so below average that that's why he deserves the MVP. I, what, because he's showing up to work? That's why he deserves MVP? I think Joel Embiid has had similar issues with his roster. You know, he's had an all-defensive player in Ben Simmons and 
a guy who's been in a top 15, considered a top 15 player in the NBA, not around this year. Um, and there's been a cloud over their head in that roster, in that franchise, because of that issue. Um, so, yeah, I think it's Embiid. Jokic is a close second. And in my opinion, LeBron's third.